when you ask 100 people, do you want to grow? I think you would find 98% of them would probably, 98 of them would probably say yes, but they're so scared to actually go through the progress of growth. Growth is uncomfortable. Growth is failure. Growth is uncertainty. And it's stepping into that newness of not knowing and leaving the predictability, leaving the security, leaving the comforts, even though they're not serving you. Welcome to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever changing landscapes of wellness and social media. So, this is Jamie. I was introduced to Ann Malum long before we were actually introduced. Her name started popping up in my consciousness when Solid Core started taking over NYC. As an NYC fitness influencer at the time, I was intrigued and I started digging. What I saw on the surface was a workout modality that was one of the buzziest I'd seen in a while, and it seemed to me that it was rapidly expanding across the country. My perception was correct. It turns out behind the scenes, Ann Malum, founder and executive chairwoman, had raised over $70 million in private equity, and since opening its first studio in Washington, D.C. in 2013, Solid Core has expanded to over 88 locations across 27 states and has over 1,000 employees. But that wasn't all. Anne was also the founder and former CEO of Back on My Feet, a nonprofit that uses running to help those experiencing homelessness. This was an organization George and I had long admired as marathon runners ourselves, and I was so impressed to learn that Anne was behind that too. Anne's newest venture called Ambition is a fitness and wellness concept launching in New York City in 2023. She also helms her Choose 90 personal development program and is on a mission to help people around the world connect to their own personal greatness. Listen to this show if you know you have a fire burning deep within you but can't quite access the flame, you want to figure out how to stay committed to your goals but keep falling off track, or you simply like to learn how badass business babes do their thing and learn from their confidence and risk-taking. Well, Anne, we are so excited you're here today. This is Jamie. And of course, we have our own connection because we were, I was lucky enough to meet you and just kind of just in the past like few weeks, really form a little bond with you. I've always followed your story though. Huge fan of you and what you've done professionally. I think you're amazing. And I'm really excited that you're going to be a part of my retreat in April because I think we have some serious lives to change. So I want to just start from the beginning though, because I think the the whole genesis of your journey is really interesting. And I read that even before you got involved in like being a serial entrepreneur, you kind of started in maybe like corporate public policy and you just weren't finding that it lit your fire. And then one day you were running past a men's homeless shelter and everything changed. So tell us about that day and that mm-hmm. spark. Yeah, it's fun. when I tell people who know me today, I was like, yeah, my first job out of college, I was a co- a, a copyright a policy analyst for the Association of Research Libraries. And people are like, what? I'm like, it's as boring as it sounds. And so that's what I was doing. I went to I went to grad school at American and got like a you know political job afterward in D.C. And exa- I was just like completely bored out of my mind. And then I moved to Philly um, to work also in a, in a political uh, organization. It was it was nonpartisan. It was a watchdog for the city of Philadelphia. You know, so we were there to make sure that things were kosher. We were calling out politicians when we thought things were done unethical and, you know, all this different kind of stuff. And I didn't hate that job, but I was in this place that I think everybody finds themselves at some point in their life, which is asking what you're here for, what does it all mean? What's your purpose? And for so much of my 
college, like high school and college. I'm like, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to graduate early. I'm going to uh, get married to this tall, dark, handsome guy. I'm going to have this huge white house with a white picket fence, 2.2 kids. Like I had it sort of all figured out. And when I got to like 25 years old, I was like, I don't actually think I want any of that. And when you're so, when you've convinced yourself that that was going to be your path and your identity, and then, and then you're also so quickly so certain that it's not what you want. It was really scary. And I felt really alone. Um, I spent a lot of time by myself trying to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to do with my life? And yeah, I was running every every day that period of, of my life. And I had became a runner when I was 16 to deal with my dad's um, addictions. He he went through drug and alcohol recovery when I was really young. So I never saw my dad be tempted or engaged in that activity, but gambling surfaced when I was a teenager and it tore apart my family. My mom was like, I can't go through this again. You know, money was here, Achilles heel. We didn't have a lot of it. And, and he gambled away a good chunk of our savings, our education. And she's just like, I just can't be married to you anymore. In hindsight, of course, I understand that when I was in it, I was like, this is my dad. You're taking my dad away from me. Uh, so I, I started running to cope with all of that. And I tried to like fix my dad's addiction issues. Like I didn't get it. I'm like, why don't you just stop? Like, why don't you just stop going to the casino? And it just wasn't as simple for him to overcome that or move past it. And it it continued to be an issue for him for several years. And so 10 years later, yes, I'm running by this homeless shelter in Philadelphia, which was not even a quarter mile away from my house that I had passed literally the appropriate use of the word literally, hundreds of times. Like I I had seen the shelter, the people outside. And for whatever reason, in July of 2007, these guys started to wave at me and I started to wave at them. And and it felt like Oprah's aha moment. Like it was a light bulb. I was like, oh my God, why don't I start a running club for these guys? I was very drawn to them because of my father. And I saw my dad in them. These guys were playful and fun. And so was my dad. But my dad's life could have ended up like that. And like I, if it wasn't for, you know, some circumstances and, and my mom and marriage and whatever. So yeah, I started what was going to be a running club. I had quit my job at this point because I was so fed up with my life and I just needed to figure it out. And I thought if I made it hard for myself, I would figure it out. And so I, I quit my job and I started a running club for these guys. And I mean, there's this story could literally be 30, 40 minutes. And for those who are interested, there's plenty of like TED Talks that go into much more detail. But, you know, in that shelter, I found my people and like I found my calling for the next several years. And it quickly became not about building a running club or running program in the homeless community. It was about using running as a tool within the homeless community to create self-sufficiency by changing these individuals' identity of themselves, of, to stop seeing themselves as homeless, but to start to see themselves as a runner, an athlete, capable, reliable, uh, type A, ambitious, goal setter. And you could see that they started to look at themselves differently. And the theory and the vision as this was all happening in front of me was, gosh, like, I think we can help these guys move out of the shelters. Like this is the first step for them to make real change in their life. And if we can get them to a better place emotionally and mentally, then we can actually get them jobs. Then they'll be employable. Then they'll want more for their lives. They'll, they'll feel better about who they are and their contributions and the community that they want to be a part of. And I remember Jamie, like 
I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And literally, again, literally, nobody, everybody's like, you, this is so nuts, Anne. Like, you want to make this your job? And I was like, yes, I'm supposed to build this into a fully functioning nonprofit that has funding, staff, programming that starts with running and gets people to pay attention to this issue in a way that nobody else does. I'm going to use this sport. And then through the program where we track attendance, we track attitude, we would put them through financial literacy, they'd be able to earn grant money through us. We can build employment partnerships and and be like advocating for these individuals on the change they're trying to make for their life. So it was the first time in my in my life where I had to stand out on the limb where everybody thought this was silly and stupid and and admirable, but Pollyanna of like, oh, it's so sweet. You want to help these guys, but you need to think about yourself and what you're going to do for your career. And so I remember the, the question that everybody asks when they face that stuff. It's like, okay, what if everybody's right? And like, this isn't going to work and these guys are going to quit and the novelty is going to run off. What is the worst case scenario? I go get another job. Like I'm smart enough. I thought I would figure it out. But the, the other side was, what if I'm right? Like, what if I'm right? And what if the best case scenario that this actually works and I can help a lot of people and change the way that people see this issue, which has such an ugly stereotype attached to it. And that possibility was just like, I don't even have a choice here. I was, I felt like I was in love. And when you're in love, you don't think straight. And I'm like, I'm doing this. So yeah, I, I started building and creating and messing up and making mistakes and then making more mistakes and but I got a ton of people involved and, and it's now like a $10 million a year nonprofit that employs, I think like 70 some people now. And we've helped thousands of individuals who have been living in homeless shelters, get jobs and move into more independent living. And what's the name of the nonprofit? I feel like we didn't say it. Oh yeah. Sorry. It's, it's called Back on My Feet. And as a runner, I'll just say this, this is part of why I knew you, Anne, because like I had followed the, the story of the next business that we'll talk about in just in just a beat or two, uh, which is of course Solid Core. But I when I realized that you had started Solid Core and then I put it together as a runner in New York City, I had seen the guys from back on my feet. Like you see them at races. And my husband and I had started taking note and being like, whatever's going on over there, that is cool and powerful. And you you noticed that. And I was always astounded by what was going on. And to learn that you were at the helm of that was pretty damn cool. Mm, th- thank you. Now it's men only. So that that shelter was specifically men. Is it everyone now? Yeah, it's men and men and women. The way the shelter system works is they're not. It's men, right? Men are usually in shelters by themselves, and then there's women and children. You'll you very rarely see a shelter system that is for that is for families. Um, but yeah, you know, and honestly, like a lot of homeless men, like they don't get a lot of support. It's like you're 40 some years old, you're 50 years old living in a homeless shelter. People are like, figure it out. I don't want to help you. And there's a lot more sympathy for, for women and children. So I, I didn't plan it that way. Like it just happened to be the shelter by my house, but it became really obvious to me that this population, homeless, homeless men, um, needed a rebranding issue. And like, we needed to share some of their stories and they were the ultimate underdog. Like it was a media frenzy once people learned about Mike and Darren and Joe and and all of the guys and like how unbelievably kind they were. And just, you know, many of them were facing addiction. And as I've seen through my dad, like addiction wins. 
it, it, it wins every time. And so you burn a lot of bridges. Obviously, it sits in front of family relationships, jobs, anything else. Um, and I wanted to tell some of those stories. And it's like the whole city of Philadelphia started rooting for these guys. It was really cool. So obviously, there's a lot of emotion tied to that, right? Like you're very, you're very invested in it. And Back on My Feet was such an amazing concept for all the reasons you just listed and so many more. But you did eventually leave it to pursue your next projects. So before we even get into those, can you tell us what prompted you sort of deep down inside to know that it was time to like, let your baby bird fly in the form of the charity that you created and like you felt safe and secure that it was still going to thrive without you and you needed to move on? Like what, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think that's such a great question that doesn't get talked enough about, which is that it is okay for things to to have an end and most things in life do. And it was my job as the founder to make sure that this organization wasn't dependent on me and had an identity outside of me. And I also feel like, one, I started to hear this like knock on my brain again that I was like, and like, it's time to spread your wings and challenge yourself. And like this, at the beginning, you might have thought this was going to be your whole story. Like it's not, it's, it's chapter one or chapter whatever in my life, chapter one in my entrepreneurial um, journey. But I was like, what? And I remember like, I don't want to do anything else. Like this worked. Like no one thought it would work and this worked. Like where, where do I go from here? What if my next thing fails? How do I top this? There was just a whole long list of fears and, you know, doubts that were living of that were, that were talking me out of actually making the move for, for months. And I frankly felt a little selfish. I'm like, I get to help people every day and I'm making, I'm like, I truly help people like have a better life through a sport that helped me in such a strong way. Like, how, how does it get better than this? But it, it didn't go away. And, and that is the part of me that is so committed to growth and putting myself in situations to want to experience, you know, what my talents and skill sets are. And so I was like, all right, if this is, if this isn't going away, like I got to figure out what the next thing is. So just like when you have that intuition and you sort of feel it, I just started to pay attention. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm available. Like I am open for business. What is the universe trying to tell me? And so when I was in Los Angeles for work for back on my feet, I walked by a Pilates studio and I was like, oh, this looks cute. And I was an athlete, right? I've done 11 marathons. Like I was working out all the time and I thought it was just so LA. I'm like, I'm going to go take this class. And it was so challenging. I, I couldn't, like I first, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this workout. Like, what is this? And so after the next day, I was sore in all the places that I always tried to like work on on my body. Like a lot of women out there, I had my fair share of body dysmorphia. I was bulimic for, you know, two years, uh, pretty bad. Um, and food and food in my body just took up so much energy, you know, in my, in my mind, in my heart, um, for so many years. And so I was really intrigued by how I felt after that workout. And I, I was living in New York at the time and I started to do the workout in New York. And I was like, oh my God, like this is so incredible. I'm feeling so much more confident. You know, there's something special about this workout and nobody knows about it. And I sort of felt like no one's building community around this type of workout. And if there's anything that I know how to do, it is to build community. So I was like- Sweet, so what year was it again? Yeah, sorry. This was 2013. Okay. So I was like, oh my God, this is it. 
this is what I'm supposed to do. And I, I felt it the same way that I felt back on my feet. Like I felt so certain. And so I, you know, I, I moved back to DC because I thought that that would be the best place to get started. I had a lot of connections there, a lot of media connections. And I just thought DC was, you know, such an affluent, uh, athletic, fitness focused place that it would just make sense. So yeah, I, I left back on my feet, um, felt very good about the financial position the organization was in, the board, it was very stable, and then opened the first solid course studio not like pretty much nine years ago. Uh, so much of your story is about risk taking and like I'm like, woo, woo, because you're badass. Talk, can you tell us about some of the the risks risks you had to take to get solid core off the ground and to just get that concept started in the first place? Sure. I mean, for one, it was all of my money. So I had saved about like $175,000. And I always tell people this when I talk about money because I've built like really great wealth for myself. When I was 28, I was in credit card debt because I was buying food and throwing it up. Like literally like buying, like going to the grocery store, buying ice cream, buying candy. Like it was a very sick disease and I didn't have any any net worth at that time. And through the ages of like 29 to 32, through so through back on my feet, through speaking gigs I was doing, I just started putting every dime away, knowing that I want to be able to invest in myself at some point. I don't know what that's going to be, but I want enough to be able to make a big decision for my life. And so doing the math on what it would take to get a studio open and, you know, okay, if I paid the contractor 30 days after I opened and I would have hoping I would have revenue coming in from people buying packages. Like it was pretty tight, but I like put all of my chips on the table, just knowing that I knew how I felt after I did this workout. I knew how my body was changing. And I'm like, I, if I feel this way, other people are going to feel this way, particularly women. And I remember getting an offer from actually a back on my feet board member when I was just like, oh, I'm just like kind of nervous about this. And he's like, well, tell you what, Ann, I'll give you $75,000 for a 30% stake in, in solid core. <laughs> and I was like, tank. <laughs> I was like, that's, you know, again, money is all relative. So back, I'm like, that's actually, I would be smart to do that because then I would make sure that if this failed, that I would at least have 75 grand that like I wouldn't have to touch. And then I thought, you know what, if, if I take this money, all I'm saying to myself is I'm doubting this idea and I'm doubting my capabilities. And if that's where I am, then I shouldn't even open it. So I, I turned it down and opened, yeah, the first studio and it just like took off right away. And I believe in the power of momentum. And I like within the first week, I was like looking for the second location. And I had that first one open November, 2013. The second one opened in March of 14. The third one opened in May of 2013. 14. And then I opened four, like four more that year. So I just built off of momentum, speed to market, the attention the concept was getting. And I wanted to train people to be like, I'm seeing solid core everywhere. Like this must be a great workout. What am I missing out on? And it just continued to fuel the momentum. So yeah, today, nine years later, we have uh, 90, 91 it's studios. Amazing in this post-COVID world. So I have two-part question. First, for any of our listeners who may not have tried SolidCore or have don't have a SolidCore in their neighborhood, tell us about the workout. Sure. Um, I always tell people, we've always had like, it's like unlike anything you've ever done before. And I truly mean that. And the best way to describe it, because people need some reference, is the machine, which is 
patented and we own it. It's her name is Svetlana and it's a cross between a total body gym and a Pilates reformer. So in essence, it's like very athletic Pilates and it's done in a dark room with a coach who's, you know, really trained on, on obviously the workout personalization energy and it's 15 minutes long and it's, there's no breaks to it and it's slow moving um, but because most workouts target your fast twitch muscle fibers and solid core targets your slow twitch muscle fibers, a lot of this, the slow full range of motion with the lunges, the planks, um, the, the different movements we do, the squats, and then, um, the holding and the pulsing and all of that stuff. It just, if people are like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done because their body's not used to being worked out like that. And, and I'm also really proud of, you know, you don't make it nine years and grow to 90 studios if something is a fad. Like this workout works. Not only is it super fun to do and the environment and community is so great, but you know, like it's an incredible, like I, I didn't have abs in my twenties. Like I have incredible abs when I'm 42 because of solid core. I love that. All right. So then second part of my question is where does this confidence come from? Because I think so many of us get stuck at the what if I fail? What if I can't do this? What if it all goes to shit? So where do you get that confidence to move forward and just go for it? Um, I think it's practice, right? No one likes rejection and failure, and and I don't either. But I I like it. Like I'm I'm used to things not always going as planned. And when people when I talk to people about rejection, I'm like, you have just like anything else, you have to work it out. You have to practice it so it stops paralyzing you. You know, like ask the cute boy out, go to dinner. And and my chief of staff today was like, go to dinner and ask like for dinner to be for free. Like go, like do these things that you know you're probably going to get turned down for. And because you expect it, it shouldn't be that hard to do. So I think just like going through it multiple times, like it just, it doesn't phase me. It's like, okay, that's not going to work. Then let's try something else. Um, but I remember thinking, you know, when I was walking around the city of Philadelphia deciding, I'm like, am I going to do this thing? Like, am I going all in on this? And I just remember looking around at all of the buildings, all of the the brands, like whatever. I, I'm like, this stuff wouldn't exist if someone didn't have an idea and that idea didn't get acted upon. Like, why can't that be me? Like, why? why like, I care enough about this thing. I'm so passionate about it. Like, I'm smart enough to figure it out. And even if I don't have the answer, if I trust my intuition and my resourcefulness, like that's, that's enough. And I think expectation wise, I feel sometimes when people want to be entrepreneurs, they get, they stop in their tracks like, well, I, I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, I guarantee you there's not an entrepreneur out there who knew how to build. Like I didn't know how to build a solid core. Like I never had ran a for-profit brick and mortar studio. I didn't know anything about construction, training trainers. Like I'm not a fitness trainer. Like that was not my background. So I'm like, there's a lot that I had never done before, but I'm going to figure it out. And I trust my ability to do that. And I think that's just, that's where the confidence comes from. It's not, I, I don't know anything by any stretch of the means. There's a lot I, I love know. it. One of our recent guests, Judy Holler, calls them experiments. She says, you have to do three experiments a day. So I started instituting that in my own little small ecosystem of my, my office, which is me and my assistant. Each of us have to do three experiments yeah. a day. So three things that scare us. And for her, I mean, she's Gen Z, so picking up the phone and calling somebody instead of sending an email scares the shit out of her. So I'm like, okay, all right, so call right. them. And by the way, every time she does, 
She's like, oh my God, I just closed that deal. Got myself a commission. I'm like, you sure did, girl. Because literally the thing that scares us the most is never that hard, but you'll never know unless you try. Yeah. And we just create this worst case scenario of, oh my gosh, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to start this business and put all my money in, but what if it doesn't work out? I'm going to lose all my money. Then I'm going to lose my home. And then my husband's going to leave me and I'll never see my kids again. And like you, you create this just diabolical scenario that has such a low probability of happening. And the best case scenario actually has a much higher chance of, of operating. But our brain, if you let your brain default to the negative, it will every time because that's your defense mechanism kicking in. Protect, preserve, stay where you are. Don't rock the boat. So you, again, this is like yoga, right? It, this is a practice. You have to practice your mindset. You have to practice your confidence. And it doesn't just develop if you're not going to do it. Just like you would never expect to you know, develop your muscles if you're not going to go train them. They're not going to get bigger, stronger. So if people just, I think, think of those Think of our emotions in a, in a different way, and they need working out too. Oh, Heidi. Oh, sure. I'm like, I'm just listening. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm like, do we have to talk about something else? I like listening to this one. Uh, okay. So let's, let's pivot just slightly, not really, but slightly. And just, so just to get a little more specific about what you were just talking about. So what exactly is it other than, you know, you've mentioned that you don't think that this workout exists anywhere else. Like, you created a community, you lowered the lights, you made it fun. Like, so is there anything else that sort of is a secret sauce and why people love solid core so much? I mean, we've heard, you know, that you have all the celebrity clients from Michelle Obama to Ivanka Trump. So like, what is it that they love so much? I, I think it's always a few things. It's like when someone asks you like, oh my God, what do you do for your skincare routine? It's like, it's always like nine or 10 things. It's never just drink water, right? It's it's a lot of things. So it's the consistency in the execution of what we do. And so it's, important and lacking in so many places. Right. And it, yes, it, it is. So I think you have, you know, we lead by we lead by example here, right? So I our whole tagline is create the strongest version of them of yourself. And I as the founder of this organization make sure that I am doing that, communicating that, talking about that with our staff, with our team, that they're seeing that on a consistent basis. Um, when I broke my leg in 2019 with a pretty horrific jet ski accident, you know, I, I came out of the hospital 10 days after it happened. I'm like, I'm running a marathon on March 22nd, and that is eight months from now. And like, I got the whole community to rally around like resiliency. And like, when we get knocked down in life, we've got to get back up. And that's just an, an example of what the community stands for. And I still coach in the studios. Our CEO coaches in the studios. It is still my primary form of working out. So that's culture, Heidi, of just like, oh, like the leaders and and the beginning people are really bought into this. And that says something to people. And then two, our training program is very robust. Like one of my best compliments that I get from people is when they go to Dallas or Houston or Miami or California or New York, their experience is high quality, same level, and they can count on the workout to be the same. And I'm really proud of our team for protecting the brand in that fashion. And and again, I think the workout itself is just so different. There's nothing really like it out there. And I think that's important. We spend money on the things that matter. Um, this is also key for anybody, I think, going in the retail business. You don't need to like ship marble in from Italy for your front desk. No one cares. What they care about is the mirrors. 
They care about the lighting and they care about the sound system and they care about the coach. So that's where we continue to put money in. So that experience continues to be high quality for what people are evaluating us on. And then I like merch too, Anne. Give the merch. (laughs) We, you know what? Honestly, like I was like, I hate the merchandise. We only have like 15 people in a class. So the number of people going into our studios is a lot less than a soul cycle. And merchandise, I don't know, and I and I fell fell uh, I guess a victim to it as well when we opened. Oh my gosh, we need merchandise, and I'm like, this is a whole separate business, and we know nothing about it, and we're losing money. Our studio managers hate doing inventory; it's so time consuming, and even if we sell a hundred shirts, it doesn't make a dent in our P and L. So, like, wh- why are we putting energy and time and resources into this? So, we actually, since last year, have been pulling our retail out of all of our locations and putting a limited uh, amount on online because that's not our business. We don't know clothing; um, we know experiential workouts and how to provide a consistent. Uh, again, a consistent experience for people in a quality workout. So that, and the last thing I'll say is again, just the results, like people who commit to doing solid core twice a week, three times a week, you're like, they tell me all the time. I, I've never had abs. I've never had like toning in my arms like this before. And then they tell their friends and then like, you've got to come and try this. So yeah, that's what I think all, all of those things. Do you, do you still run? So is it like solid core two, three days a week and then running or like what else do you do? Yeah. So I don't, I, I do berries a couple times a week. Um, I do solid core. Like when I'm in New York, I do solid core four times a week um, as my primary thing. I'll do yoga once or twice a week. And I also lift heavy, like at the gym twice a week. I just did an Instagram post about this when I'm in berries and I see like, you know, we're, we're doing bicep curls and women are eight pound weights. And I'm like, you guys might have, like, it doesn't, if you don't work your muscles to fatigue, you're missing the whole point. Like it should be challenging. And I know a lot of women say they don't want to get bulky. It's like, do you know how many men have been trying to get bulky? And like, they can't even get bulky. Like we don't have the testosterone for it. It's not going to happen. But if you want your metabolism to increase and you want to build muscle, you know, tone and get stronger, like you've got to lift heavier weights. So, so I, I do that as well. I don't run as much mainly because of the accident that I had. It gets pretty uncomfortable for me in my right hip when I do long distance. And I'm not going to say I'll never do another marathon because I've learned never to say never. I've been wrong too many times. Um, but it's just not in my journey right now. Like I'm, I'm, I haven't been running for the last couple of years. Well, I think this is a very good segue into let's talk ambition, right? Because what you're saying right now is you bop around the city, you do a million things, you're all over the place. Like all of us are trying to keep up with like all the places that we make a reservation for this class and that class and it's across town and there's traffic. So what's the concept behind your new fitness method or your new fitness platform? Yeah. Bringing the paradigm in fitness ambition. Tell us about it. Yeah. Speaking of never saying never, like in the pandemic, of course, I'm like, I will never start another fitness company. But I, <laughs> I when I came back to, to New York, I was spending more time here in February. Exactly, Jamie. I was like going here and there and here and there. And I'm like, you're spending so much money and so much time and energy getting these places. And I love boutique fitness and I love classes. And I'm like, there is a problem to be solved here of putting the four best modalities underneath one roof with the best coaches and delivering that space, delivering that for people at one location. 
Um, so that's where the idea for Ambition came from. We open. We just started construction yesterday. We're opening in in Brooklyn Heights, and then uh, Chelsea and Flatiron between March and May first of next year. So we have three studios to start. I got a spot for you in New Jersey when you're ready. Just okay, like, okay. Like I'll, I'll watch out. <laughs> we actually have solid core New Jersey now, so we're 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 spreading our wings outside of uh, Manhattan. Where in New Jersey? Um, so there's one Jersey City. Um, and there, we're opening up in Hoboken and there's another location I know. So Westfield, New Jersey is where we need you. Okay. Westfield. I'm taking notes. Well, there's one in Wilmington, Delaware, which I just found out and signed up. So I'm very excited. I'm doing my first solid core class next week. Just I'll report back. Yeah, please do. Um, so the four concepts at ambition are, there is a peer strength class. There is athletic conditioning class, and both of those take place in, in our non-heated room. We're using equipment called FitBench, which has so many different options for weights, bands, the, the bench itself, inclines. Like There's so many exercises that can be done on it. There isn't any fit benches in the city yet. And then in our other, our other location, I'm sorry, our other studio, um, we're doing what is called a athletic-inspired yoga. So when I go to yoga, I always feel like I'm like, get this weird, mediocre workout where like, it's kind of a stretch and kind of a workout, but I wish they would just choose and like do one. So I have been taking hot eight when I go to LA and I love hot eight. I'm like, there's nothing like this in, in New York. So it will you need be- need to take Heidi's CrossFlow X class. Okay. It's sick. Okay. I can't wait. It's a hit yoga um, class. But, but, but yeah, so our, our, um, athletic inspired yoga will, will be all weights and it'll, it'll be yoga sort of infused within without, but it's all about muscle fatigue. You will leave that class not needing to go do another workout and be, you know, targeting more of your slower twitch muscle fibers in that room and more fast twitch muscle fibers, you know, in the non-heated room. And then we'll also have a deep recovery stretch class that we're going to be doing to, to help people with the lengthening. And we're just like going, like I just said, I know where to spend money on this stuff. Like this studio is going to be so gorgeous with the lighting. We have the coolest flooring going in the the yoga room, um, which is sort of this woven, it looks like wicker and it absorbs the sweat and it's really soft and bouncy. It's going to be like beautiful. And then, you know, spending money on the sound systems um, in both of the locations. And in addition to that, Jamie, we're bringing in a, a whole like education component I think that it's important that we start, like, I feel like you can't talk about people's bodies. And I'm like, listen, people are working out trying to change something about their body. You get the mental health regardless, right? Like, that's amazing. I work out for mental health too, but either people are trying to maintain a certain level of fitness or to improve in some area. And we're not going to shy away from that conversation. If you're coming to Ambition to lose weight, to be able to, you know, improve your agility, improve your balance, improve, like you want lower BMI, you want to build strength, like we're going to have those conversations with you and we're able to actually create a plan on what classes you should be taking. And then twice a month, we're actually doing speaker series um, and focusing on all things wellness, whether it is longevity financial wellness, you know, um, fasting and bringing in people who are experts in this space to just host social events. I mean, Jamie, you know this, but I, I quit drinking this year and there's just not enough social activities going on in the city around, you know, wellness. And we wanted to start to build out that space for folks to like, come on a Friday night and we're going to have this great panel and you get to connect with all these people afterward. Absolutely love it. So I know you've done several TEDx talks and you travel the country as a keynote speaker. 
You clearly obviously inspire a lot of people. Can you tell us about your Choose 90 program? Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking. So the the Choose 90 program is pretty simple when you break it down. It's about making the right decisions in your life that serve you today and tomorrow 90% of the time and leaving that flexibility for variety 10% of the time. Because with my own life, again, as somebody who can go all in, um, people fail there. That's the two mistakes I see people make. They either try to go all in and be perfect and do something 100% of the time and then they mess up once or they end up eating a donut or pizza and then it's just like, ah, fuck it. Sorry. I don't even know if I can say that. But like, okay. But like, well, there's no point in continuing now. So I'm just going to like throw it out the window and then they really go down this rabbit hole. And when one, like one meal is not going to disrupt all of your progress. Well, if you behave poorly for the entire week, like that's when it actually can cause damage. Or I see the opposite end of the spectrum where people actually choose to be inconsistent too much. So I'm sure you guys know this, like, oh, I behave during the week, but the weekends I can eat what I want and I can drink what I want. Well, our weekends make up about 40% of our life, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So it's too much time working against your goals. So what works best for me again, is the 90-10 rule. So 10 per- and, and alcohol is not in this 10% now. I think it'll end up there after the end of the year, which was my commitment to myself not to drink until then. Um, but I think like, again, if you like love fries, if you love all these things that you know aren't yeah. great for you, have them 10% of the time. It's not going to, it's not going to matter. And that's just actually not me saying that. Doctors, experts talk a lot about this. It doesn't disrupt anything if it's done on such a small nominal level. And I think it also takes out the guilt. Like, I don't feel guilty when I go have a burger and fries. I'm a Midwestern. Like, that's still my favorite meal because I know it It, it doesn't happen very often. I like fries dipped in a Frosty at Wendy's. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. When the kids went after school for snack yesterday, just because there was peppermint Frosties, and a fry and a Frosty is a pretty damn good thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't know if that's a Midwestern thing too, but a lot of people do that back back home. Oh my gosh. I'm from Jersey, but maybe yeah. I've got a little Midwestern in me. Yeah. 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 Everyone loves a fry and a Frosty. Let's be real. <laughs> well, look, I love everything you're saying. And I think you know, and I think the reason that I really just like took a shine to you is that we're very aligned on like this message of, of health kind of being the nucleus to all the other things. Like people love to talk about health. They also love to give the diet industry or people that are in a pursuit of helping people with weight loss and wellness a really hard time right now because it's kind of all been demonized and thrown into this category where it's like body positivity or nothing. And I'm like, what, wait, like, but 60% of America's overweight or obese. We have a real problem. There's multiple conversations to be had here. And by the way, it's not really about weight loss. It's about a lot of people are just stuck in a whole host of bad habits that are making them unhappy. And how can we help those people rise up? And that's why I have you involved in this retreat that I'm doing April 20th through 23rd with Dr. Don Wood in Orlando. It's a transformative retreat and I'm really excited about it. And having you there to me is like this really bright shining star because I love what you're about. And you're going to share a little bit of that with our people. You're of course a three-time TEDx speaker. Like you are not. If anybody thinks that you are um, solely in the fitness space, fitness is one of the things that you do as an entrepreneur, but obviously you are an inspiration and a businesswoman. You are what Wikipedia would call an American businesswoman. And we can be inspired by you. And I think a lot of women are just looking for like that inspiration to help them reach down deep inside and like do the thing that is scaring them. So if someone's coming on this retreat and is particularly stoked about getting to spend a little time with you, 
Can you maybe leave us with just what kind of inspiration and personal change can they expect? What might you talk about? Yeah, thanks. And I'm excited too, Jamie. I really appreciate you inviting me to the event and I can't wait to like spend some more time together. And yeah, I think, listen, you know, you sort of think what you want your personal brand to be and what, what, what you've led by example of. And I think that what people are going to learn and we're going to talk about a lot is living the life that, that you, that you want to live for one. And again, I'm, I'm 42. I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Everybody from my hometown is I've moved around a lot. I've started things. I've moved on from things. I've been engaged twice. And like, I always listen to sort of what's right for me, regardless of the societal pressures. And it reminds me a little bit of Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, when she from Eat, Pray, Love. And remember the, remember the movie, the scene in the movie where she finds herself being like, I actively participated in every decision about my life and I don't want any of it anymore. And I actually think that that resonates with so many people, particularly women, when you really take stock and you're just like, how, how did I, how did I get here? Did I make these choices based off of wants? So we're going to talk a lot about confidence and we're going to talk a lot about just assessing our life and knowing and, and understanding if these things are serving us and getting people comfortable with letting go. I mean, I, I've, I've broken up with friends who, right, our friendship no longer makes sense for us anymore. I've let past lovers go. Some of them have let me go. Um, I've moved on from businesses and there's something really cleansing. And I think when you ask a hundred people, do you want to grow? I think you would find 98% of them would probably, 98 of them would probably say yes, but they're so scared to actually go through the progress of growth. Growth is uncomfortable. Growth is failure. Growth is uncertainty. And it's stepping into that newness of not knowing and leaving the predictability, leaving the security, leaving the comforts, even though they're not serving you and they're kind of fine and maybe your life is a six, but like, how do we get you comfortable with actually taking the steps toward the things you actually want? So it's working through a lot of those emotions. Yes. Let's get a whole bunch of people to attend. I love that. Yeah. It's no sixes. No sixes in here. <laughs> Heidi, do you want to bring us on home? Uh, sure. Meg, do you want to talk about what our last segment is? Okay, so the last thing we do is karma call. So I forced Megan to say it because she has endless enthusiasm and I love it. Uh, but I'll explain that karma is a Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our guests, what is one small actionable item that our listeners could try for a short period of time that will yield a large result? So small action, big result. Oh, goodness. I don't know if this is a small action, but I, I mean, I, the best thing I have done for myself in a very long time is stop drinking alcohol. And it, it just, I'm not an addict. I, 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 I never had a problem. It never has disrupted my life. But the intimacy that I have been able to have with myself, with my new relationship, he also doesn't drink, um, with my friends has been unparalleled. I, di- I didn't know what I was missing. So I would encourage anybody just, you know, I have this whole 90 day theory, just give it 90 days and, and see what happens. And if you don't feel change, you don't feel, then, then start drinking again. Um, but it has been so formative for my life. And I'm really grateful that I, I wish I would have learned it earlier, but I didn't. Um, but I'm really grateful that I've, I've, I've had that experience and have learned um, that I don't need alcohol to be confident. I don't need alcohol to have a good time. I don't need alcohol to have sex. I don't need alcohol to get close to somebody. Um, it's been pretty great. 
Amen, girlfriend. You know you're preaching to the choir with that one because it's over 20 years over here and it's, it's some good stuff. Well, thank you so much, Anne. We love that. Hey, can you just tell our um, listeners where they can find you on the internet? Yes. Uh, best place is, is, is Instagram. I try to like to not get on all the mediums. It's like the, um, it's like the, he's just not that into you. And Drew Barrymore is like, there's so many ways for people to break up with you. They call your cell phone, they text you, they MySpace. So like the best way is, is on Instagram. It's just my name. Spell it so they know it. Sure. It's Anne, A-N-N-E, and then Malum, M-A-H-L-U-M. Amazing. Well, thank you for your time today. We love that. We love everybody out there for listening. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the show anywhere podcasts can be consumed. We'll see you next time.